on this episode of Backstories. Harjo also plays the alto saxophone with a band called Poetic Justice. Really, music is just poetry set to sound. Well, and everything's breaking news, and there's, it feels like the cheetah is in the room with you. Welcome to Episode 7 of Backstories, the podcast by Johnson County Public Library, where we talk about books, authors, and the creative process behind the stories. Today, I am joined with Tiffany Phillips, the owner of Wild Geese Bookstore here in Franklin. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you. Today, I'm going to talk about Joy Harjo. She is the Poet Laureate of the United States from, let's see, I have the dates here somewhere. She was named it in 2019, and she still currently is, and I don't know if that's because that's how long terms last or if that's because of the pandemic, but I want to talk a little bit about her. She is an indigenous poet. Uh, she was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma on May 9th, 1951. Her father was Alan W. Foster, and he was a Muskegee Indian. And her mother, Wynema Baker Foster, was Cherokee and European American from Arkansas. She is a member of the Muskegee Nation and adopted her paternal grandmother's name, Harjo. At age 16, she um, attended the Institute of the American Indian Arts, which was a Bureau of Indian Affairs boarding school in Santa Fe. So her whole schooling career is basically how to be an artist and how to be a writer. And I know that ties in kind of with what you've read too. Do you want to tell us about what you read? Yeah, um, I love I love Joy Harjo. I, I was just trying to think of the name of her memoir because it's it's also very good and it's sold very well. <laughs> now I'm blank on that. But I read a book called The Baby on the Fire Escape by Julie Phillips. And I could talk about it all day. It was completely fascinating to me. So <laughs> yeah. if you want me to jump into that or uh, we'll get back to that. Yeah, it's a how it ties in it, with um it's definitely about like how motherhood and creativity uh, intersect and how it influences both the the experience of motherhood and the art that's subsequently created. Yes, that sounds very interesting. So you said you're a fan of Joy Harjo. I am. She was recently at the Idol Jorg. Yeah. In March, did you go see her? I didn't. I wanted to, but I did not get to go. Yeah, me neither. Saturdays are really hard for me. I'm saying I'm either work. working or yeah. I'm cooking or napping because that's what I do on my days off. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk a little bit about her. Um, so she, so Harjo was inspired by her great aunt, Lois Harjo Ball, who found self-expression through painting. So originally she enro enrolled at the University of New Mexico as a pre-med student, but her first year she went the total opposite direction and decided to major in art. And then she switched to creative writing during her senior year, so her last year there. She was inspired by the different Native American writers, and she graduated in 1976. She is inspired, I don't know, inspired feels the wrong word. Her family had a lot of hardships growing up. Her father struggled with alcohol, and she had some abusive step-parents. And then, so she started her journey into art as a way to express herself. So Jody pulled up the, the cover here of Joy Harjo's biography that you were mentioning earlier, Crazy Brave. Yeah, and I think there was also another one that might be called Poet Warrior or yes, something. Yes, I saw that um, one too. That's also very good. You know, I, I think what's interesting is the impulse to go into medicine and to be a healer mm -hmm. and writing are so closely connected. You know? They really are, yeah, because they heal both 
physical body and the spirit. Yeah, particularly, yeah. you know, I, I think she was often writing what she, the books that she was looking for herself. So to, to give language to her experience would also help others see themselves. And there's a real gentleness in her work that's also very honest. And even when she's talking about difficult things, she seems to give people a lot of grace for their perspective. She does. So in preparation for this podcast, I listened to one of her poetry collections. I didn't have time to fit a memoir in. Um, I listened to An American Sunrise, and it was beautiful. It was just absolutely beautiful. And all the lines that I remember, that I remember how I feel when I listened to it, but I can't repeat any of them because it just totally slipped my mind. But in particular, I love listening to poetry and audiobooks because in general, the authors themselves read it, and so you're really listening to it the way they intended, with all the pauses and the emotion that you miss when you're reading it or someone else is reading it. It's a performance. It is a sure. performance, yeah. yeah. I also just recently listened to the new Ocean Vuong, Time as a Mother, yeah. and that, that was really lovely, too. So He has a, a good On Being episode that come, came out recently as well, if anybody's interested. Yeah. That is one of the. I love on being. I do too. Krista Tippett, right? Yeah. yeah. It's one of. It's just a. His words feel like a song, even when he's just speaking. Yes. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. So I, I'm notorious for speeding up my audiobooks, like to two and a half, three times, depending on mm-hmm. what I'm listening to and how fast the narrator is. And I found myself actually slowing these down and doing semi normal speed. Because the beauty of it really shines through when you listen to it. Yeah, and it's almost like watering a, a plant that's really dry. You know, if you if you flood it with a bunch of water, it won't absorb. You know, right. With, with his work and with Joyce too, I think it's meant to be sort of taken in slowly, so you can really kind of get let it soak in. Yes, absolutely. She also went to the University of Iowa, where she earned her MFA in 1978. And she took classes also at the Anthropology Film Center in Santa Fe. So she has tons of education in the arts. And she it seems to me that she's in various art forms. She doesn't just leave it to poetry, but like really music is just poetry set to sound. Joy taught at the Institute of the American Indian Arts from 1970 to 1979 in 1983 to 1984. She also taught at Arizona State University, University of Colorado. Harjo also plays the alto saxophone with a band called Poetic Justice and edits literary journals and screenplays. I did not have time to YouTube Poetic Justice like I did Chick Corea that one time, but, <laughs> you know, I will now. So in 1995, she received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Native Writers Circle of the Americas. In 2002, she received the Penn Beyond Margins Award for a Map to the Next World Poetry and Tales. And in 2008, she served as a founding member of the Board of Directors for the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation, for which she serves as a member of its National Advisory Council. She not only creates poetry and puts it out there for people to read, but she also finds a way to enable others to enter the creative fields, particularly Native and Indigenous voices, which is super important. She joined the faculty of the American Indian Studies program at Urbana-Champaign in 2013, 
And in 2016, she was appointed to the Chair of Excellence in the Department of English at the University of Tennessee. She's literally been all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, in 2019, Harjo was named the United States Poet Laureate. She is the first Native American to be, to be appointed that. She is also the second United States Poet Laureate consultant in poetry to serve three terms. She's got a long history here. I've got a whole bunch of notes. Uh, I won't just read all of them, I promise. She has numerous works in the genres of poetry, books, and plays. They often include themes such as defining self, the arts, and social justice. Her use of oral tradition is what inspires her in the readings and the musical performances. She wants to continue including that in order to captivate the attention of her audiences. She claims that she starts not even with an image but a sound, which is indicative of her oral traditions expressed in performance. I think, you know, her work too, it reminds me in some ways of Mary Oliver's, who like, I named my shop after a Mary Oliver poem. Yes, who doesn't love Mary Oliver? Who does love Mary Oliver? But there is a an attention to nature, and nature is just as much a character or a voice in each poem. Nature is the mother of all of us. That's correct. Yes. So, um, Ties in with yours very well. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you can't read joy and not feel the violence of being human, but also the beauty of being human. Yes, I agree. They talk about the social justice and like the, the defining of self. And those, while often peaceful, are not always. And it definitely was reflected in the writing for me because like there were some poems that were like nice, almost like lullabies. And then there were others that were kind of stilted and jerky almost. Yeah. And you could feel it. There's like weather shifts in her work. You can, yes. It's almost like you know there's some some are stormy and some are cold yes there's there's a just an intertwining of nature in her work so it's not like a a, a hammer <laughs> yeah it, some some poets it's um what is it synecdoche like da, 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 you know yeah. yours isn't like that it's a lot more like water flowing yes i think and i think that's that's very much intentional on her part and i think that's kind of indicative maybe of the indigenous voice too because of the connection to nature mm -hmm. and the land and the importance of that and that culture her let's see i actually don't know does she have children i thought she did but i yes, yes. she does a son phil in 1969 and then a daughter rainy dawn born in 73. it's very his name yeah yeah <laughs> But I haven't seen anything, or, or I don't know anything about her journey and like her. I, obviously, there's like she was in academia for a while and going through a lot of education. But I don't know how, what support she had for writing while it she parented. Seemed like yes, because judging by those dates, she was also doing education at the same time, mm -hmm. which I can't even imagine. Like and advocacy and yeah, everything else. Yeah, yeah. That's a good segue, actually, into what you read. You want to go ahead and yeah, talk about what sure. you Yeah, sure. So Julie Phillips is a biographer, and yes. she typically um, you know, writes traditional biographies. And this is an exploration of really five or six artists that she takes a biographer's approach to, but it's also very heavily academically researched, and there's lots, there is a very thick section of footnotes. So it almost is like, it's very well researched in that she looks for how were each of these women artists and paint, painters, painters and writers, 
balancing or dealing with the intersection of motherhood and their craft. And she doesn't just rely on sort of broad brush biographies. She really drills down on journal entries and newspaper articles. And she does all the research of a biographer to try to read between the lines about how it really felt to these women to try to create while also being a mom. Yes. So um, <laughs> no, that sounds really interesting. Um, I was th it just made me think of that book, and I can't remember what it. I think it's called it the woman upstairs, the one about Margaret Wise Brown, the ghost yeah. in the attic, and the mom, the new mother, and like she imagines that Margaret Wise Brown is in the attic and like telling, taking care of her child, while she tries to find her new identity. So sorry, that's where yeah. my mind went. Exactly. When you said that. Well, yeah. So the title of this book, "The Baby on the Fire Escape," comes Love from it comes from Alice Neal, the the painter who did the cover photo. Okay. Her uh, in laws told a story that she had left a baby on the fire escape to finish a painting, which was not true, um, but it okay. was sort of this mythalization of why she's unfit. And her daughter was kind of taken from her by the in laws uh, okay. to back to Cuba mm -hmm. with their family to raise her and um, there is this sort of sense of women struggling to not feel cleaved in two from the life before become a becoming a parent and after and also trying to continue to create art and so the sense of there's always going to be suffering to the child if you're creating art is this sort of modern conflict that we see played out and what conditions the book, the book kind of explores without really making conclusions and very generously and um, without judgment looking at these women's lives what conditions enable creativity and domesticity to coexist okay um, and, and she almost makes it seem like the hero's journey like the Joseph Campbell hero's journey of trying yeah. to go out and embark on trying to find yourself again and putting back pieces again yes after after becoming a parent and I kept thinking of the giving tree yes <laughs> I have feelings about Silver saying, we all have big feelings <laughs> yeah. I mean yes. I really think I don't think Shell was saying this is the way you parent I think it was definitely a uh, or in my mind it was a um, it didn't really teach the boy anything to have everything given to him right either you know and I think what her book explores is how, you know, the motherhood can be seductive in the way that you can not have boundaries in all these different areas, and then you wake up and you don't know where you are anymore in it. Like oh, boundaries are so important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have those. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, but I can imagine that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's just... I mean, um, just in general, like, you gotta have them, right? Well, yeah, but that's a new concept. Yeah, that is not something that was um, that, especially for women. The socialization is that you shouldn't have boundaries with your right. children at all. In fact, you should, you know, self. That that's the sort of societal yeah. invisible expectations that really have deprived us of a lot of great art and great writing, and probably women's a lot of women's sanity because um, the women who were able to do it and not feel so there was a sort of illusion that like. Doris Lessing, she talks about, yeah, who divorced the husband mm -hmm. and then as a result didn't really have as much access to her children. This was in the 1950s? Yes. Yeah. So there's this sense of, um, well, if you can have somebody else care for your children, surely you can go back to your art then. And really, there was collateral damage in both her life and the children's lives as a result of that too. Right. And so there isn't this 
it's always the elephant in the room. Like whether you have the children with you or don't have children at all, or have, the societal yeah. expectation is is always a factor in in women and being creative. And there was a documentary years ago called Who Does She Think She Is? And it was about women painters and mm -hmm. artists and why you don't see a lot of women painters and sculptors in certain sections of time yeah. uh, because they're not really encouraged to do that. It's right. like, who does she think she is? She should be serving others or serving she, her children. Yeah. And, um, so it's, it's really fascinating to me. I think it's something that I... I struggle with, you know, as somebody who's always had, from the time my daughter's, I've been a parent 17 years now, and from the time I had my daughter, I had to go back to work, right? And I was like, do you want to eat or not? So, <laughs> right. so we were trying to figure out that balance, and I've done the definite, she talks about people in this book, about people who've done this sort of third shift of, you get the kids to bed, and then you pursue your art in the after hours, but I just think Brene Brown is right, that unused creativity is not benign. Right. And I think if we can have structures where women have a little more support to be able to have those creative outlets. Yes. And be parents, should they decide to be. And this book also covers time when access to birth control was not readily available. Right. Which is another thing. Choosing yeah. and not choosing is a whole other thing. That's, yeah, that's a whole other. Yeah, well, yeah. in the sense of like, you know, there were some women who became mothers before they were ready. Right. So that's in this book, too. Yeah. Um, I think that still happens. Uh, yeah. Okay, yes. so I don't know if I'm actually allowed to say this title on air, but if, and if I wanted to be a mother, that book would make me not want to be a mother right. at all. Because like, she was completely like enveloped by her child, yes, and then completely lost herself. And then I honestly don't even know what happened in that book. That book was so weird. It was it was good. Maddening. It was good, but it was maddening. Yes. Yeah, but that's what I kept thinking about because like she got so consumed, and then she almost transformed, but not like in a. I don't know. I don't want to say it in a good way because, like, so so you're talking about Night B word, yes, which Thank is you. A, which is a novel um, about a mom who sort of morphs into like this demon creature. Yes, and I think she's sort of a satirical representation of how you can feel so resentful of all that you have to do as yes. a mom without support. And I think what Julie Phillips would say is like, if people have a little more support, yes, however it comes right. from whatever source. And room permission slips to do creative work. You wouldn't have that tension and anger and I'm going to turn into a beast kind of thing. Right. Um, I remember I took a, a photography workshop when my daughter was probably three or four and felt tremendously guilty for being gone for two days for a photography workshop because it wasn't my law job and right. it wasn't making money. You know, and right. so I, there was this sense of I build my time in six-minute increments, and if it's not spent towards bringing money to the food to the table, right. it should be spent parenting. So it was this real hard thing for me to choose to go. But the conference itself was called The Love Affair because it was tailored to women, mm -hmm. and it was targeted towards go have an affair with your art for a couple of days. Go just have a permission slip to go do your art for a couple of that's days. That's awesome. It is awesome, but also, like, it's a little sad to me that that's the permission slip. I mean, I, mean, I love God love the Mark Adams Woodworking School, but I don't think the people who attend those conferences need permission slips to go. And they don't right. need to be called like, you're sneaking away and it's okay that all your dishes aren't caught up. Right. So it's this, it's, there's still this gendered expectation about, oh, it's great if some people have hobbies. But if women have hobbies, it better be after they have done all these other things. Yes. And those other things, that list is never done. Right. I'm, I'm going to start preaching. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. I, I feel like I can't say anything because I don't have kids. I just have a dog. So, you know. Yeah, but you can. 
Yeah. And you can't. And as a, as a daughter, I'll say, you know, my mom went back to college when I was six. She became a mom very young. And then she went back to college when I was six. And I saw her getting to go paint mm -hmm. and getting to go to New York with a class yeah. and come back alive in ways that I had not seen. And I just think, like, I think children actually benefit. Yeah. If you get so, to see your, your parent come alive from being creative. I was all like, I'm going to get a new hobby. This will be great. And so over Memorial Day weekend, I got one of those paint by numbers off Etsy. Yeah. They're really cool. We sell them at Waggie's Bookshop. I way. know, but... Okay, I just have to put that it's in there. mailed to me, and I don't have to go out in public and 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 be greeted and hugged and embraced in a real life experience. But go ahead. Yeah. Okay. You know what? <laughs> Way to make me feel bad about my hobby. No, no. no just have your hobby, honey. Have your hobby. No. So it was great, but then I found out that I wanted perfection out of this. Oh no! Because I was like, you know, and the numbers are like this big. They're oh. really, really small, and I was like, I need to get my eyes checked because like I couldn't oh. read them, and then you know. And actually, there towards the end, I just kind of gave up and just started putting number or colors wherever yeah. I wanted them. So I was like, I just got to finish well, that's this. better anyway. But it's a, it was really cool. It was good. I'll probably do it again. Maybe I'll get one from Wild Peace. Um, <laughs> you know. I'm just messing with that. I know. Etsy is a good alternative. I don't use Amazon. Thank you. So we appreciate that. I, I gave up Amazon in 2019, and then the pandemic happened, and I just had to rely on what Kroger had. Yeah. So, you know. And deliveries from Walkie's Bookshop. And deliveries, yes, I did. I had that. You did. Yeah, we did. Wonderful book. I think Aaron and I talked about that book last time. Oh, good. Or whenever, not last time, whenever we did ours. Yes, of course. I love Wild Peace. Oh, uh, I know that. I'm just giving you her top. So, it's just my wallet doesn't love it. Yeah, I love it. So, you know. <laughs> we have deals. But anyway, so, yeah, yeah but the point is perfectionism and a hobby do not go hand in hand. Right. Yeah. Well. But you that's know what I'm learning. Brene Brown once again would say that like, she used to struggle with like, oh, that's funny. You have your ART. I need to go do my job. Yeah. And then she realized it made her this very resentful person because, or, right. or she was having to work on that because it made her resent when people were having fun. Yes. And um, so it doesn't all have to be to earn money or to prove right. value. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I also cross stitch um, on occasion. Not very yeah. good. But. I find when I start getting real annoyed with it, I just put it away. So I'll put it away for six months mm -hmm. and then have a renewed interest in it mm -hmm. you know, six months down the road, you know, when it's 30 below and you don't want to go outside. I think the hobbies are really cool. And I think that's still a struggle, even if you don't have kids. Like to, Absolutely. Because I'm like, oh, man, I could, be, I could be reading, which is, you know, in theory for some people a hobby, but is an extension of my job, which I love, by the way. But it is still, you know. Of course, you have to say that. No, use your I, library cards, Americans. No, you should use your library I, cards. That's what no, I'm saying. just saying. Yeah. And you should buy your books at Wild Keys. And that's you should right. buy your books that's at Wild right. Keys, right. right? Support them that's in the right. bookstores, right? No, um, I got derailed. I'm sorry. That's okay. Even as somebody who doesn't have kids, I think is what you're trying to say. It's hard to just do something for the joy of it. For the pure joy of it, yeah, for sure. Because, like, I don't know. I can't even sit and watch a 90 minute movie without freaking into two. You have to multitask. I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't think, a friend of mine said this today to me, I don't think our brains were made for 24-7 information and input, and but we feel this expectation to do that. Yeah. And it's so easy now because everything's yeah. at our fingertips. Well, and everything's breaking news, and there's it feels like the cheetah is in the room with you, right? Yes. So Love we fun and Doyle. That's right. Well, yeah. well, we have to have ways to, Emily Litnikowski would say, break the stress cycle yeah. in her book, Burnout. Glennon, is it Melton? You're thinking of Glennon Doyle's book, um, Untamed. Untamed, which is about... I was trying... Melton was her married name, though. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Um, but there's a book called Burnout by Emily Nikogowski, I think, and her sister, and they talk about breaking the stress cycle, a feeling that you're being chased and ways to tell your, you know, tell your body you're not being chased anymore. So I think yes. like doing things for joy and creativity helps you remember like, okay, yeah, I'm not in danger. Yeah. Right. I don't have to do all the things at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I, but I, I do think like creativity though. There was this. Oh, I should say. I, I think we all have trouble finding room for it. And yes. um, there's a book called Gifts from the Sea too that Amaral Lindbergh wrote. Mm -hmm. um, she would go kind of off by herself. It's like the ultimate. I can see fantasy. the cover. Yeah, yeah. Where you go off to Captiva and you, you're in your cottage yeah. uh, for a few days because she had a lot of children and one was abducted and died. You know. Her and her daughter wrote back and forth, and I read their letters, and Reeve had a new baby and was like, I can't write. I can't keep a thought together, which is a lot of what this book is about. Yeah. And her mom wrote her back and said, you know, writing when you have children is like rowing against wind and tide. And I think about that all the time. And she also said, you know, just little snippets, just little thoughts on a back of an envelope. Just get that down so that you're getting it kind of out. Yes. And I think we all have trouble when... Uh, the influx of information and the doing and the multitasking and the expectations to work after hours. Not that you would have that, but I don't. Okay, but and I don't work after hours. Good for you. But, but like, that, you right. know, your listeners <laughs> yeah. may not be employees of JCPL. Yeah. So I, I would just say, <laughs> yeah. with all of that input all the time, it is like yeah. rowing against wind and tide sometimes to create something. And I think about the work that's lost that we don't get to read about people's stories because of all the the noise. Yes. Yeah. I think a deeper dive, a slower read is really important in this time. But not too slow because then you fall behind on your reading goals. Well, see, that's the perfectionist. <laughs> I know. Which we, I love that. But yes, no, there's some peer pressure too. Is that? But yeah, no, speaking of peer pressure, I had Erin Cataldi on a few months ago and I was telling her the story about Wild Geese. I don't know if you remember it. It's kind of, I think when you first opened, I ordered a Greedy Hendrix book called Satan Loves You. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of your workers was, like, real concerned about the title of the book. And you were like, oh, it's Alyssa. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, or, like, <laughs> but we do not judge the special orders. No, I know. And I know you don't judge it. And I think it's hysterical. And I love telling that story. Yeah. The funny thing is I actually never read the book. I gave it to Erin to read. And she read it. And I might get it back to read eventually. Maybe yeah. someday. We do have one customer who I... I'm guessing will not be listening to this, but if he is, how are you? Who will order books for shock value only? Oh, and then we'll we'll open the door and say, "Hello, this is I'm here to pick up the joy of sex." You know, yeah. like he loves doing that and yeah. seeing who he can make blush, and we are just unfazed, you know. Yeah, but I'm glad it gives him joy, and yeah. I will take his 1650 for his copy of whatever. Yeah, whatever, yeah. Yeah, the first time. Anyway, yeah. Well, I feel like I cut you really short on with all your notes here, but yeah. I really appreciate you coming sure. on the show and taking time out of your busy day. And I know you put a, a thing on your Facebook, but you recently moved. So what is your new address? Thank you. We're at 40 East Madison Street. So it's across the street from the Willard patio, just down the street from Main and Madison. It's a two-story house that's yellow and blue, and yep. we're the main floor with that beautiful porch. Yes. Come see us. Yeah, we were for five years. We were on Water Street, and yes. we moved. And you know, people just think 
wow, you closed it. You know, they just don't know where yeah. to find us. So, yeah, anybody you can send our way, just tell one person. Yep. What you should do is you should park in that public parking lot. Mm -hmm. We should get coffee at Main and Madison. Right. We go there for books and beans, and they treat us wonderfully. Aww. And then you should go to the bookstore. That's right. It's fantastic. Yeah, our craft is right there. And they the art do, craft, they do if you want popcorn. Yeah. yeah. They do Tuesday movies for kids that are really cheap with um, Coke and popcorn. And yes. Can All you right. drop the kids off at the art craft and go shop books? Well, if they're of a certain age, I think you can. Yeah, <laughs> or with somebody who, you know. And so if somebody came somebody in with popcorn with into, your, into your shop, oh, that'd be okay? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. it really does. <laughs> so they own our, the Franklin Heritage. Yes. Owns the house that we rent. Okay. So on Friday afternoons, sometimes they bring us popcorn. That's, That's very nice. It's really sweet. My mom lives uh, right next door to Madison Street Salvage, and Danny is the nicest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, my aunts um, actually had him in elementary school. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, it's a whole... Can I shout out your aunt? You can, absolutely. So, she doesn't listen to this, but yeah. Okay, well, Pe Peggy Noonan is Alyssa's aunt, and she was a children's librarian for many, many years at a, a school union. Uh, Whiteland. Whiteland. And um, I know who her customers are, like, or who her, sorry, who her students were. Yeah. Because they will come in. They, she just has magic for planting the passion of reading. In these these kids yes. are just like on fire about books. They they love books, and I always know when they come in and they're fired up and and they've read a whole bunch of stuff and they're excited and they're curious and they're reading all things. We're like, who was your librarian? And they would all say, Miss Peggy. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's she's magical. Yes. she's like the Mister Rogers of children's library. I remember like all the times we've gone into Wild Geese and we come out with just bags of books because she's ordered so much from the library. From the library. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And she gives so much grace too. She'd be like, Will. These guys, so did we get this for you already? Yes, they got chewed up by someone's dog, or you know the the child left them in their backpack and their water bottle spilled on it, and we replace them. And she just does, she did a lot out of her own pocket too. Yes, and, she did. You know, we always give discounts for teachers because we know that happens a lot. But yes, um, but anyway, she's a joy. Yes, and all the good things. Yeah. So Franklin Heritage, and mm -hmm. it's great. Yeah, we love it's Franklin. Great. Yes. All right, well, that is the end of episode seven. Backstories is a production of Indiana's Johnson County Public Library.